Good morning, Alliance. Okay, so before I start, we've got like a little housekeeping to do. The last time I was here, some of you may remember, it's okay to talk back. <laughs> it's okay to say hi, it's okay to say amen, it's okay to say thank you, Jesus, fall out if you need to. I will not be phased by any of it. But if you do fall out, make sure there's somebody around you to help you up. I am uh, I'm hoping that it doesn't come to that. <laughs> but you never know. So I am so happy to be here. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I bring you greetings from Imago Day community where Rick McKinley is our fearless leader and one of my favorite humans in the entire world. Now I realize that I am not the Scotty that you're all used to and Hannah's not the praise and worship that you're all used to, but as long as we hang out with and talk to and talk about the Jesus that we're all used to, we should all be okay, right? Yeah. All right. So we are in a series called Arise, and you're starting to put some communicable stakes in the ground. You're putting some ways to be able to move forward as a church. You're putting words to what it means to be Alliance Bible Church, which is awesome and the values that you embrace during this series and after are going to dictate how you move forward in the world and with one another. Now the series, I want you to think of it as scaffolding as you go through this, this series. I want you to think of it the way you build scaffolding on a building. And when builders are building a building and they put scaffolding up, the reason they do it is so that they can reach places that they can't even see yet that they can reach places that they haven't even built yet. And that is what this series is doing. It's actually making it possible through prayer, through behavior, through the way you engage with one another, through your practicing of these values, it's going to make it possible to reach for the church that you are going to be, not just the church that you already are. So I'm excited to be able to preach during this stage of this series because it, is, it says something when somebody allows you to come and speak into his or her congregation at a time when you are building things and when you are, are forming things. And I'm really happy that my friend Scotty trusted me enough to be able to do this. I'm happy about it, but I'm humbled that your pastor, Scotty, has trusted me with you because you mean a lot to him and you therefore mean a whole lot to me. So I've been listening to this series. I've been enjoying this series. I've been listening to it from beginning to now. And one of the things I truly appreciate is looking at just how, how much sense and wisdom there is in the way it was structured. You talked about your principles and how your principles are being true to Christ, kind to people, and sent out into the world. And that is something that I think is, it, it encompasses everything. There is nothing left outside of those principles. And last week he talked about your posture, that you would be living in the tension of what it looks like to be full of grace and truth. And one of the things I appreciate about that is when Scotty said that you're not, you're not living in this way where you're 20% grace and 80% truth or 50% grace and 50% truth, but you are full of grace and full 
of truth. I love God's math. He's just like, if you could just be 100% in both of those things, then you'll be 100% as a human being. And that's not good math, but it is absolutely great theology. And so today we're going to begin to talk about the practices. We're going to talk about uh, the eight, the eight, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, ten practices, I believe, that you guys, no, one, two, three, six practices that you, <laughs> that you guys have. Thank goodness I don't have to talk about all of them because I would, I would find myself in some dire straits here. So the practices are just kind of the way that you live things out. And the thing that I appreciate about this is he talks about um, you all understand that there are two practices that help you live out each of the principles. One of them is an inward practice and one of them is an outward practice. And so I believe that every expression begins with an impression. That in the same way that a potter who is making a pot has to press into the clay before what comes out is going to come out. Likewise, we need to be impressed upon on our insides before our expression can come out. How many of you know that when you harden your heart and you don't allow God or anything to make an impression that your, your expression becomes stale? It becomes what it always was. And so we are called to actually continually have God impress himself upon us on the inside so that our expression changes, so that everything is new. And so I like what you, what you talk about when you say that, that grace is the container for truth. And if you look at each of these practices, the inward practice is kind of a container for the outward practice. So if you learn to allow hospitality to impress itself upon your heart as a human being, then you caring about justice is just kind of something that happens, that when you learn about other people and other cultures and other things in the world, that it affects the way you do mission. And also when you learn the discipline of prayer and when you practice prayer and allow the Spirit of God and the person of God to impress himself upon your heart, then how you act out in the world creatively becomes, becomes that, that, that prayer becomes the container which will then hold you out in the world. So this week, as I said, we are going to talk about creativity. Next week, I think, we're going to talk about prayer, but this week we're talking about creativity. So show of hands, how many of you think of yourselves as creative beings? A lot of hands not raised. <laughs> Creative. Most people don't see themselves that way, right? I mean, most of us kind of see ourselves as just people, but most of us don't really automatically say, I'm creative. I'm not a writer, I'm not a painter, I'm not a dancer, I'm not a singer, I'm not a composer. So I'm not an artist, I'm not, I'm not creative. And so you look at all of those practices and you think to yourself, I could do almost all of them, even if I do them badly. But some of you get to creativity and you go, yeah, that's kind of not who I am. And so some of you are kind of hoping that you can opt out of that one. And you're hoping that maybe you'll be excused or that people won't look too closely at how creative you are not. Well, 
those of you who feel that way, you're quite normal. And our common understanding of creativity, I think, is the reason. Our common understanding of creativity is actually very limiting. It's not wrong. It's just very earthbound. For example, the dictionary defines creativity as the use of the imagination or original ideas, especially in the production of artistic work. Come on, most of us don't really fit into that. Most of us, I mean, I don't know the last time I had a really original thought that was just in me. You know, seriously, when we get up here and we preach our sermons, sometimes they sound really original, but the truth of the matter is, is we study a lot. We do a lot of studying. When you write, a good writer is a person who reads a lot. You know, and when you think about, you know, people who are really amazing at, at music and stuff, they're really presenting other people's work, right? So original, original thoughts are very hard, and a lot of us struggle with actually engaging our imagination in things. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, except that the definition of creativity kind of doesn't involve the creator, which we kind of need it to do as believers, right? So I need to make a pit stop here, and I need to impart some truth that I believe will help us move through this series and hopefully help us move beyond. The Bible, the work we use to be able to define and explain and illuminate everything, is at its core the story of God in the person of Jesus Christ through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? That the Bible is the story of the will of God, the, the, the person, the, the will of God, the nature of God, the heart of God, seen in the person, the example, the behavior of Jesus Christ through the witness, the confirmation, the power, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, that's the Bible. Now, the hard thing about that is that we need to filter everything that we're going to understand through that framework. Because here's the thing, when we, when we understand things through this framework of the will of God in the person of Jesus Christ through the witness of the Holy Spirit, it brings order to disorder. It brings clarity to the things that we're trying to understand. And when fear and culture and confusion try to insert themselves into our lives, that framework can clarify our thinking. Pick a problem. How do I treat my wife? What is the will of God? How does Jesus, as a person, ex you know, illuminate that example? And how does the Holy Spirit empower me to do it? How do I deal with the crazy people in my job? Well, what is the will of God concerning your enemies and concerning people who irritate you? How does Jesus handle people who irritate him and drive him crazy? How does the Holy Spirit work in us to do that? You pick a problem. You can put it in this framework and you're on a pretty good track to be able to do what it is you need to do. The Lord's Prayer is actually that. 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A kingdom come, thy will be done, the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, God with us, on earth, the example, the person. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, the Holy Spirit working through us. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You look at the stories of Ruth and the stories of David, Abraham, Deborah. These are not just stories about people. They are the stories of the will of God. And then you see the person of Jesus Christ. And then you see the witness of the Holy Spirit. When you look at Ruth, what you can see in the life of Ruth is the will of God in her life. But you also see that she becomes this example or this type of Christ. This person who left her life and, and, and sacrificed for someone else. Gave up her life for someone. You see the type of Christ. And then it happens through the power and the witness and the person of the Holy Spirit as she walks through and as Naomi, who was kind of an example of the Holy Spirit in her life, guides her and shows her what she needs to do. So this framework really is helpful. Jonah in the belly of a whale is not just the story of a guy in a fish. It's the story of a king in a tomb. And so when we look at those things and we look at the psalms and how they were written they're in this framework the burning bush is not just the story of a tree that didn't turn to ashes it is the story of each and every one of us in whom the holy spirit lives and we are not consumed by that it is the story of of a christ who is consumed by the spirit who is uh, in, encompassed by the spirit and not consumed so many disagreements that we have in scripture could be settled by this framework. The things that we fight about in church, if we begin not with a, a, a random Bible verse that says X, Y, or Z, and then we try to take the whole rest of the Bible and make it make sense, let's start with what is the will of God concerning women in ministry, concerning how we preach the gospel, concern, what is the will of God? How does Jesus personalize that and, and illuminate that? And how does the Holy Spirit empower it in the first church? So when we look at that, we can actually see those things. So I want to look at creativity. I took that nice long pit stop so that we could talk about creativity in that framework. We're going to look at creativity. I think if we do that, we will see that everybody in this room is creative. That if I were to ask this question at the end of this sermon, you'd all raise your hands. If I say, okay, who's creative? You'd all be like, yeah, that's who I am. I'm creative. Because I don't want any of you to leave here thinking that creativity is out of your reach. I don't want you to leave here feeling like creativity is limited to artistic expression or left-brainers. Or I don't want you leaving here thinking that you can opt out of being a creative individual. So it's no surprise that the first place that I want to go to when we look at creativity is creation, is the book of Genesis. So Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, 
and there was light. He goes on to create a really good world. Everything is good, and then he places his very good humans in the center of this world to take charge of it, to care for it, to co-labor with him in the flourishing of this world. And the thing that I want you to see is it says in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, most of us say, what's the first thing God ever did? We pick up our Bibles and we say the first thing he did was create. No, he was doing a whole bunch of stuff before that. Creation was the first thing he did for us. It's not the first thing that he did. He's eternal. And he's as old as old as old and a day or two. And he's going to be as old as old as old plus a day or two. And so what I want you to see in the order of creation when you think about the days before he makes man and puts him on earth is that there was water before there was thirst. There was food in the earth before there was even hunger. That there is relationship before Adam experienced loneliness. And so we see even more in the creative narrative of John 1. There it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that, had, that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome or understood it. So we see a little more. We see that in the Word, in the one who created all things, there was life and light. And what do we know about mankind? Is that he brought death and darkness into this world. So because of the sin of Adam and Eve, life and light becomes necessary. But consider this, that light overcame the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it. So in other words, what this tells us about creativity in the hand of God before the fall is that before the first sin, there was a savior. Creativity for God is not some demonstration of skill or power. Creativity for God is an expression of relationship and love. Creativity in the hand of God, in the heart of God, in the will of God, is an expression of love. It is, if you look at creation, it is unselfish. It is not about the person who is creating. It is for the people he is creating for. Because remember, God is all-sufficient. He doesn't need us. He's not lonely. He's not struggling. He's not challenged by this perfect relationship that he has with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then he makes all of us losers. He puts us here on earth, but all of creation is there for us. He is and has his own light, and yet he makes light for us in the world. He's not hungry, but he makes food for us. He's not thirsty. He's not, he's not trying to move with a challenge in his life. He, all things are great. 
God is chill. He's totally chill. And then he brings us into that chill world of his. But before he does that, he makes that world ready for us. He considers what we need. It is, creativity is first unselfish. It is second, it is considerate. That it was about what we needed for our flourishing, not what he needed for his comfort, because let's face it, if God just wanted to be comfortable, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross because that was uncomfortable. God wouldn't have bothered with dealing with sin with us because that's uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit is like, oh, these people, they grieve me every day. If God wanted to chill, he could have totally chilled, but he didn't. He was considerate of us. Creativity was unconditional. He creates this beautiful, amazing earth and then gives us freedom to muck it up. He says, this is what I'd like. This is what I'd prefer you not do. And what did we do? The thing that he asked us not to do. Parents, you feel me. I told you not to touch that thing. I asked you not to go there. Can we please stop sneaking out of the house at night? And then they just do it. They just do it. Creativity is full of truth. If you look at things like just the very first thing, the light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome or comprehend it. How spectacular is that? If that's the thing you get and you don't get anything else in the Bible, you are in good shape. Seriously. And the light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it or understand it. You wouldn't have to read the entire rest of the Bible if you understood that fully. I'm serious. Because in there you understand that God wins all the time. And that if I just trust that, I'm going to be okay. There are, certain, there are certain verses in the Bible, uh, Psalm 23, 1 is one of them, where if you just get that, you get like a whole bunch of stuff. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You get that, you walk in that, you believe that. You could be a person who couldn't read anything. You get that, you got a lot. Amen. Yes. Then, creativity while it is beautiful, its beauty always has function. When we think about plants, the reproductive organs of a plant are in the flower all the time. Why? To attract others. A peacock is beautiful to attract a peahen. A baboon looks like, you know, his butt looks like it looks for a reason. You know, <laughs> seriously. Because the baboon chicks dig that, <laughs> right? So here's the thing. It's like beauty always has function in creativity. When creativity is in God's hand, it always has function. It is always something that is not just pretty. Beauty is always something that happens in the fullness of time. That is always associated with the beauty of a plant. A rose will come up out of the ground and you won't see flowers until it's time for those flowers to come out. Leaves change color at the appointed time. They fall off at the appointed time. 
they come back at the appointed time. And when you look at a tree, you can see the truth of the resurrection because you see in a bare winter tree what can look like a hand reaching up out of a grave. And you can't see that in spring or summer or fall. You can only see that in the winter. And when we are in the winter of our lives, there is beauty in us reaching our hands up in praise and prayer to God when we're in the winter of a life. Creation is not frivolous. God created beauty. Man created the trophy wife. <laughs> and so it is also creativity in the hand of God. If you look in the book of Genesis, it is ordinary. It is ordinary. It's in the everyday. It's in the small moments. Alfred Hitchcock said movies are life without the dull bits. God would say the dull bits are just as important, if not more than important, than the grand gestures and the big things and the huge this. Because in the garden, there was a sunset every day. There was evening and morning every day. And so the sunsets that we look at and go, oh my God, they're amazing. God's like, yeah, that's kind of a regular thing with me. <laughs> and so there's this ordinariness, this generous ordinary, this extravagance that creativity is, this generosity that creativity is, that we miss now because the fall distorted it all and destroyed it all. Creativity became a commodity. It became something that people sell. It became something that was used for personal glory. Adam and Eve, Eve saw the fruit, saw that it was something that was good to be used. Creativity was sitting there telling her the truth that God would prefer that right now you don't do this and God is God. And she sacrificed that to say, you know what, I can have this. And she gave up worshiping the creator for the created thing. And she takes this, this piece of fruit. Creation is the story of the will of God. It is the story of God in the person of Jesus Christ through the witness of the Holy Spirit. And with the fall, the story stops being a story and it becomes propaganda. Because a story, if you really want to define it, a story is a narrative in prose or in verse designed to interest, amuse, or instruct the hearer or reader. A story is about the person who's reading it, not about the person who's telling it. It is for the person who's reading it. Propaganda? is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, that's used to promote or publicize a particular cause or a point of view. Stories are there to tell. Propaganda is there to sell. Creation is there to tell us the story of Jesus Christ, to tell us the story of God, to tell us the story of the Holy Spirit. It is there to tell, and with the fall, creativity became a thing to sell. And so you hear people who just won't even bother to bring their talent out unless they get paid. Or somebody else who says, yeah, I'm going to bring it out, but it's for me. It's about me. 
How many times have you heard creatives say, I don't create for other people, I create for myself? <laughs> well, if you do that, stay home, don't, don't sell it. If it really is for you, then stay at home and enjoy it. But creative in the, in, in the hand of God, creativity in the hands of God is unselfish. And it is about, it's not that you don't write a book because you have something to say. You write a book because somebody needs to hear what you have to say. It doesn't look like that now, does it? It looks like people are being creative because they have something to market. I spoke with a publisher when I first got here to Oregon, and he was just like, you're talented, you're amazing, you're this. And then he said, what's your purpose-driven life? What's the thing that we can package up and sell a lot of because you're at a big church? And I said, I got nothing for you. All my stuff is different from each other. There's that variety that comes in creation. And I've been saying to God, I don't need to write a book until what I have to say is something that someone needs to hear. And so I spend my time preaching because what I'm saying here, I believe that God wants his people to hear. And so that's what I do. And I don't preach a sermon until it lands in me. Hannah's heard me say that a million times. If it doesn't land, meaning I don't get to a place where God says, this is what I want those people to hear, whether you understand that I want them to hear this now or not, it has to land. And if it feels like it has landed, if I feel the presence of God as I'm working, then I can feel comfortable standing up here and speaking to you because then that is creativity, that is God coming into the ordinary, everyday Michelle Jones life and saying, let me use this, these hands and this hair and this face and this smile and all this stuff. Let me, just, let me just be me. Let me let her tell the story of God in the person of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit as she does it. And I'm good with that if I can get to that place. Consider all the places in your life where you can express, be unselfish, considerate, Truthful, beautiful, unconditional love of God through what you do and say. That is creativity working in you. Whether it's a great idea as an engineer or a really tasty cookie as a baker or an, an amazing tax return as an accountant. That is creativity at work. How we work with other people, that's creativity at work because it is the creator working in you. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created to do exactly that. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork is a Greek word poiema. That word is the word from which we get the word poem. Each of us is a piece of a poem. Christ completes that poem. Christ and the church becomes the fullness of that poem. But each of us is a part of that poem. And we were created in Jesus Christ unto good works which God prepared in advance before there was water 
Before there was thirst, there was water. Before there was hunger, there was food. Before we were a person, we had purpose. And before we had purpose, we were loved. Jeremiah says, before you knitted me together in my mother's womb, you called me and you loved me. And it says that we were made in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite passages is Colossians 1. And in 15, 16, and 19, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him... There's that phrase again. In him all things were created, including us. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all means all, all things have been created through him and for him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. If anybody tells you I'm crazy for saying that the Bible and all the other things need to go through the framework of the will of God and the person of Jesus Christ through the witness of the Holy Spirit, this is the verse you take them to. Because it pleased God to put his fullness in Jesus Christ. The invisible God stands in front of a mirror, and if you look into the mirror, you will see Jesus Christ. God says, you don't see me, you see Jesus Christ. It pleases me for you to see Jesus Christ. And then here we are, all created in him, and that is why our lives are supposed to reflect Jesus Christ. We are all created to be creative, like our example, Jesus. So what do we say, and what we say and what we do can encompass all that creativity is without us ever having to sing like Adele or dance like Gregory Hines or paint like Da Vinci or write like Hemingway. Denzel Washington, who is a great actor and director and also a believer, is someone who I think, I would argue, his greatest act of creativity was not in his Oscar-winning performance as Alonzo Harris in Training Day. But it was what happened before that creative work, before the director ever yelled action. Denzel looked at the script and he said, this character's not dying. I got a problem with that because somebody who is that evil, somebody who is that angry, somebody who is that corrupt needs to die at the end of the movie. They didn't want him to die. They wanted him to remain living so that Denzel could do a sequel. <laughs> there was money involved and Denzel said, I cannot go home and sleep at night if this character does not die. I won't do this film if this character does not die. And then when they made that agreement, they had him die off camera. And Denzel said, I'm not showing up to work unless he dies on camera in a really bad way. <laughs> like, what has to happen to him needs to be just, just what he did to other people. He needs to be destroyed by his sins. He wanted his work to tell the truth. And so the studio didn't want it, but Denzel said, look, the message is more important than the money and you can get somebody else to do it, 
or you can get me and you can do it the way I need it to be done. And so the beauty of Alonzo's death at the hands of the same corrupt Russian mafia that he used to rise to the top, it was poetic because it wasn't revenge, it was vengeance. Creativity is not something that belongs just to the artists. Paul was teaching, he was an apostle, he was a preacher. And when you look at that passage in Colossians, what, the, what scholars have found is that that little piece from 15 to 20 is actually a poem. It's poetry. And it's something that happened in, in Hebrew poetry all the time. In Hebrews, when the prophets would get out there and speak, they'd break off into some poetry. And the way it was structured, it was poetry. It was clearly poetry. And that passage is actually poetry. It goes from Paul writing a letter and then he breaks off into this poem. And then he goes back to the letter. And so the interesting thing about it is we, we kind of see it coming in verses 12 and 13. Paul is thanking the Father in verse 12, who has qualified you, talking to the Colossians, to share in the inheritance of the holy people of the kingdom of light. Then he gets to verse 13, and he said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Now Paul, he slips really almost imperceptibly out of the role of teacher and letter writer. Slips into a family. These are my brothers, these are my sisters, and y'all, we got Jesus. And he just bursts into this whole poem right after that verse. He stops being the person who is pontificating and he becomes this person who is simply a sinner saved by grace. He's not just talking to the church at Colossae. He's talking to himself when he starts reading this, when he starts writing this letter. And it's not just good news for them that Jesus is Lord. It's good news for him too. And so it makes him break out in poetry in this creative vehicle because poems actually communicate emotion, but they also had a purpose in those days. 30% of the Bible is poetry. The majority of what God says when he speaks is written in poetry. Most of what Jesus says is poetry. I always like to say when God sent Jesus to earth, he didn't send a scientist or a politician. He didn't send a historian or a, or a theologian. He sent a poet. Because the difference between a poet and the rest of those is that you could take a rose and a scientist will tell you everything that that rose is made of, all the cells it's made up of, and it'll take that rose and make it this big. A poet says, wow, that smells good. A poet says, that's beautiful, just like you. A poet takes things that are uncontainable and makes them containable. And what is Jesus if not the uncontainable, infinite God in a person? God's in a poet when he sent Jesus. That's why most of what he says is poetry. 
Padre Gotuma says that I think sometimes people think that poetry is this lofty art to which the ordinary everyday experience bows down in the sense of ineptitude and inadequacy when really it's the other way around. Poetry bows down to the unexpected human encounters, to unexpected moments, to meetings with strangers that we have something surprising that comes out of nowhere that we want to hold and honor and bow down to. And the poem tries to do that with us. So what does it mean to say that we are poetry? That we are God's poetry? It simply means that we're designed to tell the truth in such a way that like poetry, when people see your life, when they see the creator in you and through you and with you, that they are stopped by the truth they see and they glorify your Father in heaven, or they ask you, what can I do to be saved? Or they just want to be walked with, or they take advantage of that beautiful grace that you walked in the room with. Poetry is not just information about the Creator or about Jesus. It is a great, big, huge, giant OMG. Somebody looks at our lives and just says, oh, my God. And we get to say, you're right. He can totally be yours. <laughs> and let me tell you how. Because the life that we live is the thing that attracts people. I say to people all the time, we have one job as the church, and that is to steward the attention of other people. And through the Creator living and being allowed to live in us and through us, we can steward the attention of people. Creativity is the will of God rising up in you. Creativity is the person of the sun rising up with you. Creativity is the Holy Spirit rising up in and through you. So I'm saying here today, return, arise and return creativity to the place that it was when God had it in his hands, to the ordinary, to the everyday, to the unselfish, to the considerate, to the extravagant, to the generousness, to the ordinary, to return to your creator, engineer, and teacher, and accountant, and bookmaker, and butcher, and theater, movie theater ticket taker, Whoever you happen to be, it is available for people to see the uncontainable God in you. How can you not be stunned by the truth of that and then walk through your life breaking out in poetry because you are aware of the grace and the beauty and the amazingness of God? How can you not be amazed by the fact that you contain the uncontainable God because his spirit lives in you? How can you not rejoice over that? How can you not bow down to that? How can you not be undone by such muchness as that? How can you not sink into the think of that without drowning and then wanting to drag everybody in your orbit with you. 
I want to end with a poem that I wrote a long time ago. It's called Arise. Make me blind so I see the invisible. Dull my ears to discern the unsaid. If I'm lost, let me find the unsearchable and sleep peacefully where there's no bed. Break my legs so my heart can climb mountains. Give me hunger so deep I am filled. When the dark shows me light and discomfort feels right, I can live in this body you killed. The day I let you into me, your cloud became my clarity. Your desert found a well in me. Your chains proclaimed my liberty. Close my mouth so my actions cry loudly. Make me weep till my laughter rings true. Raise me low, drop me up. Pouring out, fill my cup. Give me all which is nothing but you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you <laughs> stopped chilling long enough to create us all. I thank you for the world you created before you put us in it. I thank you for the generosity of it. I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the unselfishness of it. I thank you for the love of it. I thank you for the Jesus in it. I thank you for the Holy Spirit in each of us. Father, I pray that you would help us to sink into the think of just you being in our lives. Make us people who appreciate what we have in you. I thank you, God, that you already appreciate what you have in us. You love us. Father, teach us how to fully love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are able, stand with me. Let's continue in worship.